morning, everybody. Looks like we're a little fewer in number than normal, but uh, wherever everybody else is, I'm sure they're worshiping God just as much as we will be here this morning. And thanks to the uh, praise and the worship team for their music this morning. And a lot of the newer songs and hymns are wonderful, but thanks for throwing in a few of the older ones for us uh, older people as well. I want to start off this morning with a story. A story about a a pastor who was uh, up on a pulpit and finishing off a sermon. And as he was accustomed to, he made an invitation to anybody who wanted to come forward while they were singing the closing hymn and he would uh, pray with them. Well, this morning, uh, a a young man came up during the closing hymn and the pastor came down and, and the young man said, Pastor, could you pray for my hearing? So the pastor puts his hands upon the young man's ears and he prays to God that God would, uh, would touch this man's life and he would uh, work upon his hearing and, uh, and that it would be restored. And After he finished praying, the pastor was curious to find out if God answered his prayer. So he asked, he asked the young man, how's your hearing? And the young man said, how should I know? It's not till next Wednesday. <laughs> okay. For those who didn't get it, it'll probably click in a few minutes down the road. So if we hear somebody laughing halfway through my sermon, we'll know why. But this morning we have two parables before us. Both of them involving prayer, but both of them actually quite different in a lot of ways, similar in others. One is about persistence and the other is about humility. The first one Jesus addresses to his disciples and the second one Jesus addresses to those who are confident in their own righteousness. Both of these are found in Luke chapter 18. So if you have a Bible with you, by all means, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 18. The first one starts at verse 1. The first parable involves a story from everyday life of a widow seeking relief from her adversary through which Jesus teases his listeners to teach them the heavenly concept of praying and not giving up. Starting in Luke chapter 18 at verse 1. We read, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about men. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care about men, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually wear me out with her coming. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith upon the earth? Now the earthly or lower story characters in this parable are the widow and the judge. Now, Jesus addressed this parable to his disciples, so it's quite obvious that the widow in this parable are paralleled with his disciples. Now, the judge is a little bit more complicated. See, the biblical definition of a judge expands beyond the magistrate, as we think of today, somebody who deals out justice within the criminal system, or the person who judges a competition to see who the winner is. 
In biblical times, a judge could also be the term given to somebody who's a ruler or a leader. In fact, there's an entire book in the Old Testament, or First Testament, as I sometimes like to call it, that's devoted specifically to this group of people, judges. The judges in the Old Testament, though they were put in place by God, were often highly flawed people. And the judge in this parable has his own set of flaws as well. Now, whether you interpret the earthly judge in this parable to be a magistrate or a ruler, it's obvious that the heavenly connection to the judge is God. God is the ultimate judge who will pass judgment on his creation. God's providence also puts him in charge as he rules over all that he created. The difference between the earthly judge and God, the heavenly judge, is attitude. The earthly judge based his decisions on what was in it for him. God, our just judge, rules and passes judgment over light of what's best for his creation. The context surrounding this parable is justice from the treatment of one's adversaries. And it's important to remember that Jesus was teaching his disciples with this parable about praying and not giving up when faced with trials and persecutions from one's adversaries or enemies. This parable is not about praying without ceasing when you're unemployed. It's not about praying without ceasing for your loved ones who may not be saved or about financial problems or etc. Now, don't get me wrong. All of these things are important things to pray about. In fact, the word pray or its variance is found 375 times in the Bible. Prayer is a cornerstone of Christians and Christianity. We are taught in the Bible the importance about prayer, when to pray, who to pray for, how to pray. Prayer is our communication with God. But in this particular parable, Jesus is teaching his disciples about praying in the battle against one's adversaries. And we need to keep that in the forefront as we look at this parable. In the lower or earthly part of the story, Jesus never mentions who the widow's adversary is. And he doesn't reveal who the adversaries of his disciples are or will be in the future. But I think there's a couple of possibilities that we can look at of who they might be. I believe it's possible that Jesus was preparing his disciples for future persecution they would face when Jesus, after his resurrection, gave them the great commission to go out into the whole world and preach the good news about the salvation that Jesus had brought to this world. In the book of Acts, we're told about those missionary trips that the apostles and his disciples made in the early period of the church, and it's filled with the persecution that followed them wherever they went. And it's possible Jesus was preparing his disciples for that future point in time. For those who remembered this parable, that is, his disciples, in those times of persecution, either as taught by Jesus himself or passed on from one disciple to the other, as they told them, hey, here's a parable that Jesus taught us when we were walking along the road from Galilee to Jerusalem. In those times of persecutions, they would have remembered that parable. And it would no doubt have given them courage and the promise that Jesus made to them. 
And each Sunday, we hear about that persecution that continues on to this day when we take a look at the persecuted church. Now, a second possible adversary comes not from around us, but rather from within us. These are our own spiritual adversaries. Lust, corruption, temptations. We all have a list of things that seeks to draw us away from our desire to serve God. These are all enemies within us, and they are the, they are the result of our sin nature. That part of us that because of the fall of Adam and Eve, battle within us in our desire and against our desire to follow God and to serve him. And even Paul spoke about this in Romans 7 when he said, For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. Even Paul, who had such an intimate encounter with Jesus Christ, was battling against the adversaries within him. For those times that we face those battles within us and around us, Jesus teaches us to pray and to not give up. Help is on the way. But for us, especially today in our instant world, the problem is patience. You see, the widow in the parable kept coming to the unjust judge over and over and over with the same plea, grant me justice from my adversary. Eventually, the judge says, enough already. Oi vey, if I don't give her any relief from the this guy she keeps coming to me about, I'll never have any peace. And so he grants her the justice that she was looking for. And that's when Jesus pointed out that if the widow got justice from her adversary, from an unjust judge, then how much more will you, whom God loves, get justice from your adversary? And not just have it granted, but have it granted quickly. Does that mean that the disciples only had to pray once and it was done? A one-and-done kind of a, a prayer? Maybe, maybe not. See, sometimes we pray just once. A God grants us our plea. But here Jesus is speaking of someone who cries out day and night for that same plea for justice. None of us can know the mind of God, and I certainly don't profess to. But something I'm becoming more and more aware of the older that I get is that to God, time isn't as important as timing. And a lot of times, God waits for the right timing before he does something. Sometimes God gives specifics, times and dates about what he's going to accomplish. Like when the Israelites were taken captive by the Babylonians. And God gave them a very specific number of years. He said, you're going to be captive there for 70 years, so you might as well settle down and make the best of it. But often God's patience means that we have to be patient as well. When God spoke to Moses in the burning bush, he told Moses, and this is found in Exodus chapter 3, verse 7 and 8. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians. You see, the Israelites were captive slaves long before Moses came onto the scene. But it was now that God said, the time is right and I've come to rescue them. God is not slow to fulfill his promises, but he's patient. He's patient because he doesn't want anybody to be lost. And oftentimes it's been said, God is a God of second chances over and over again. 
Proof of that can be found in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, where it says, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. He's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. You see, don't forget, sometimes those adversaries are within us, and God has that patience with us. He can come down swiftly on us and bring down justice upon us that we deserve, but God is patient with us, and He wants to give us that opportunity to come to Him and to repentance. So we shouldn't be surprised if God is slow with our adversaries. Not slow as we think of slow because he's just um, pitter-pattering, whatever, doing type of slow. But God's slowness is often that patience. If he has patience for us, we should not be surprised that he has patience for our adversaries as well. But when God does give the command for justice, you can be sure that justice will be served. It will be swift. It will be complete and it will be done. There will be no turning back at that point. Now it's important that when we study this parable, we remember that Jesus is speaking about justice and not revenge. God made it clear that revenge is not for us to seek. It's not for us to desire. You must search your heart and ask yourself, am I seeking justice from my adversary or am I seeking revenge? If you find pleasure in the thought of harm coming to those who battle against you, then I submit to you this morning that you have to conclude that it's revenge that you're seeking. Revenge is what you think will bring you happiness or pleasure. But if it troubles you as you seek justice from your enemy, if it troubles you for the outcome that will come to that adversary. If you feel compassion for that person as you pray in seeking justice, then I believe you understand the attitude that is being taught here. Not just in this parable, but in the next one that we're about to take a look at as well that comes right after it. And these two parables tie so wonderfully together. And I don't think it's an accident. They were placed one right after the other. Now let's take a look at that parable. That second parable that we're looking at today, it flows right after the parable of the persistent widow. Continuing on in chapter 18, starting at verse 9. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down upon everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you, I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Here we have two men and two prayers. That can almost be a TV show, two men and two prayers. But I think it's kind of been done a little bit. But this, this parable flows nicely as a continuing education regarding prayer. The first parable was spoken to Jesus 
or spoken by Jesus to his disciples and about them praying and not giving up. Well, this parable was reserved for those who were confident in their own righteousness. Now, confidence is not a bad thing, but confidence in the wrong person or the wrong thing can be disastrous. Both men in this power, both men in this, in this parable are men with power. The tax collector had authority from the Roman government to collect taxes on behalf of the Roman government and whatever he kept above and beyond what they required was his to keep. We're coming to the end of our tax season. April 30th is this week. And I don't know if it's a coincidence we got a parable about a tax collector in here. But I, 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 sometimes I think, I think I'm going to change my name to Receiver General and move to Sudbury because I sure have written this guy a lot of checks over the years. And I wonder how many other people have. We don't like paying taxes. But the tax collector in biblical times, he was despised. He was hated. He was one of their own working for the enemy. He was not very well liked. The Pharisee, on the other hand, was a religious leader among the Israelites. And he would have had more respect. How much more? I don't know. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't tell us. We don't know individually what this Pharisee was like. But he would have had some respect for sure. Well, apart from their occupation and respect or lack thereof, both men also had things that were in common with each other. They would probably have been each in the middle to upper class when you think about wealth at that time. They would have had the ear of influential people, probably not the same influential people, but people with influence nonetheless. They would have each have had some form of education. And interestingly, they were each in a group that caught the attention of Jesus as he used them as examples in this parable. Now, the biggest thing that sets them apart, at least within the context of this parable, is their humility or the lack thereof. For one, it was evident that he had humility. For the other, it was evident that he was lacking deeply in humility. Have you ever thought about what the definition of humility is. I mean, it's, humility is something that we can say it, it's desirous to have. Being humble is a good thing. I don't think anybody would argue with that. But have you ever thought, well, what exactly is humility? Well, the dictionary defines, defines humility as a modest or low view of one's importance. Well, that definition fits in here quite well. But I'd like to add to that. I'd like to propose to you this morning that another way of looking at humility is that it is power under control. Humility is power under control. A good test to determine if someone is humble is by how they exercise their authority. We all have power. Some of us have more power than others. Some of us have a great deal more power than others. About the only people who have virtually no power other than their cuteness, are infants. But I, reminded, I was reminded by Carol this morning as, as I mentioned this to her. She said, well, do you remember when Stephen was a baby and he cried his head off, how much power that had amongst his parents to bring them running? So maybe infants have a little more power than I initially thought. But we all have power. Even a toddler has power. 
if that power is only the authority to take a toy away from his infant sibling or to give it back. We all have some form of power. We all have power and authority within our responsibilities as parents, teachers, friends, workers. But it's how we exercise that authority that shows our humility or lack of humility. In reality, both men were sinners and equal in standing in this sense before God. The difference is how they viewed themselves before God. The tax collector came before God with a repentant heart. And I was wondering as I was preparing this message, was Jesus thinking about Zacchaeus when he told this parable? The story of Zacchaeus comes just in the very next chapter of Luke. Now, Jesus and his disciples were on the road traveling towards Jerusalem. And as he traveled with them, he taught his disciples. And he taught them in parables, a lot of times to confound those who were listening that weren't a follower of Jesus. And then later he would describe that parable and explain exactly what was going on. And as they were walking along, was Jesus thinking ahead and the encounter that he would have with Zacchaeus? Or was he thinking about the encounter he had with Zacchaeus? Sometimes it's not always clear in the Bible the chronological order of some some of the events. But I think there is a possibility here that Jesus was thinking about Zacchaeus. And if he was, what a moment that would have been for his disciples when they met Zacchaeus. And they said, yeah, he's just like the guy in the parable Jesus taught us. And I don't know if all of that's true, but it's possible. And with Jesus' omniscience, it certainly is possible that he put everything together. Just a little something extra I'll throw in there for you to think about. I don't have the answer to that, but it's a curiosity. But back to the parable before us. I don't think anyone can misunderstand the difference between the humility of the tax collector and the lack of humility with the Pharisee. See, the tax collector did not think of himself higher than he was. His power and authority were under control in that respect. The Pharisee, in thinking of himself better than the tax collector, put himself above the tax collector. There's another parable that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14 that teaches of the need for humility and how it can prevent embarrassment. See, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus was teaching a parable about the practical side of humility. And sometimes if you don't show humility, it can lead to embarrassment. But here, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the spiritual side of humility in your standing before God. The reality is, in our own righteousness, that is, our own abilities, we're all equal before God. We're all equal failures. None of us can, by our own righteousness, Get even one toe into heaven, let alone all of us. We're simply one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, the bread of life. Something I found very difficult in reading this parable over and over in preparation for this sermon was to keep myself from thinking, I'm sure glad I'm not like this Pharisee. See, it's an easy temptation to want to start to creep in I'm glad I'm not like this other person. I'm much better than that. 
we need to not think of ourselves better than those around us. And one group of people for which it has become almost a sport to make fun of, put down, or to be highly critical of are our political leaders. The number of jokes out there about them are endless. But how many of us pray for our leaders on a regular basis? How many of us sit down in our prayer time and pray for our municipal, our provincial, our federal leaders? Doing so is kind of like taking this parable and looking at it in a rearview mirror. Not that you're looking at yourself in the mirror, but it's like going down the road driving and you look in your rearview mirror and you have an ambulance coming up behind you. And they have the word ambulance always written on the bumper, but it's always written backwards so that when you look at it in the mirror, it's written frontwards. Well, praying for a group of people like our political leaders who are often the brunt of criticism and jokes is like taking the reverse of this parable. When you pray for them, do you pray that they have humility in their authority? You see, it's not enough to expect somebody to have humility, but we also need to be praying for those in authority over us to have that humility. You can find some information about that in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1-4, to 4, it says, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and, all, and for all of those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's not just a good thing. We're actually told to pray for those in authority over us. And the best way to pray for them is that within their power, they would have humility. We need to, in our own humility, to be praying for everyone to come to God in repentance. Not just those that we love, that we like, that we're friends with, but those who are critical of us, and even those that we consider our enemies. When we pray for justice from our adversaries, are we also praying for their salvation? When we pray for relief from those who persecute, do we pray for their salvation? When we pray, do we include those who are critical of us, not that they would stop being critical, and there's nothing wrong with praying for that, but do we also pray that they would come to know Jesus? When you feel the urge to start a list of people you're glad you're not like, it's time to ask yourself, when I think of these people, do I only see the sin or do I see the person? Do I have compassion for those people the way Jesus had compassion, the way Jesus had compassion for the woman at the well, for the woman caught in adultery, for Zacchaeus, that hated tax collector? There's a story that I read not that long ago that speaks about compassion for other people, but not from a Christian to somebody else, but rather for a Muslim to a Christian. It's a story that I read where in England, in London, there's a park, and the park is a popular place for someone to come and even set up a soapbox if they want, stand on it and speak about whatever they want. Well, within this park one day, there was a Muslim and a Christian in a very heated debate about God. And along came an older gentleman who was an atheist. And he came up to them and interrupted them and he said, you religious people, you're all alike. That's all you ever do is argue. 
And this Muslim, he looked at that atheist and he said, this man, and he pointed to the man he was debating, believes in God and I believe in God. This man believes in prophets. I believe in prophets. This man believes in miracles. I believe in miracles. This man is my friend. And then he pointed to the atheist and he said, you're not, you can leave. You see, sometimes we need to have compassion for people that we don't agree with. Perhaps their lifestyle isn't what we believe God thinks it should be, but that doesn't mean we can have any less compassion for them. And a lot of times, that's what humility brings. It brings compassion to somebody's life. And that compassion is an endless loop. Compassion breeds humility. Humility breeds compassion. And that's what God teaches us. That's what Jesus was teaching his disciples in this parable. That in your prayer time, in your Christian life, humility is a very important commodity. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the time that we've had to spend here this morning. Time that we spend together in song, in worship, in communion, remembering the sacrifice that you made for us, that we might have eternal life with you. And I thank you for your word and for the lessons that are taught in it and for the ability that we have to commune with you through prayer, through your spirit who dwells within us, that we might live a life that's honoring and pleasing to you. And I do pray this morning that our, our worship to you was just that, that it was honoring, it was pleasing to you, that it was a sweet fragrance to your nostrils. Lord, be with us as we go our separate ways this morning. May we apply your word to our lives, individually, corporately, as a group of believers, that we might show that humility within our lives, whatever the situation that comes forward. And may that humility lead to a conversation about where it comes from, and may that conversation lead to you, and may that conversation lead to souls being saved for you. What a wonderful gift that would be. Father, again, I thank you for this time. And I pray these things in your wonderful name. Amen. Well, if that clock is right at the back, you've got an extra 15 minutes to practice humility this morning.